Welcome. You're listening to the Legal Business World podcast series. In this episode, Eloquent Drink is having a conversation with Professor David Wilkins of Harvard University. He's talking about the Center on the Legal Profession, Innovation, and the Legal Market itself. David, you are the faculty director of the Center on the Legal Profession at Harvard Law School, and I'm sure that many people know your center. But for those who don't, um, can you say something about the mission of the center and about its core activities? So the Center on the Legal Profession has three main objectives. The first and really at the, maybe the most central of all is to conduct uh, world-class, systematic, unbiased, empirical research on the challenges facing our profession. So uh, as everybody uh, knows, this is really a, a, a time of tremendous change for the legal profession. And uh, there is a lot of talk about that change, but very little systematic, unbiased, empirical work. So we're studying everything from uh, the effect of globalization on the market for legal services, particularly with respect to emerging economies. We're studying uh, the effect of technological change and uh, on legal practice. We're studying legal careers. We're studying diversity in the legal profession. Um, uh, we're studying uh, uh, collaboration and leadership. We, we have a whole range of empirical research projects. That's the first what I call leg of the stool. The second is to change how uh, we teach uh, lawyers, both while in law school, but also as professionals, uh, about these issues and the other challenges that they will need to confront uh, throughout their careers. So um, we, uh, in addition to the Center on the Legal Profession, I also started a, uh, uh, a an initiative to uh, develop case studies about uh, lawyers and legal careers and legal organizations. These case studies looking a lot like the kinds of case studies that are taught at Harvard, uh, are taught at the business school or in uh, public policy schools, meaning they're kind of thick descriptions of real organizations and real people designed to get people to engage with how people really make decisions and uh, how they uh, confront challenges. Um, we've also, uh, I also started a, uh, a program uh, which is now called Harvard Law School Executive Education, where we teach a variety of courses for professionals, uh, including uh, a course called Leadership in Law Firms, where we have, over the last 10 years, had almost a 1,000 leading lawyers, uh, managing partners and senior leaders and others from law firms around the world spend five days at Harvard Law School. We teach that twice a year. We do a similar one called Leadership in Corporate Council. We do one called uh, Advanced Leadership Development for uh, more junior partners, uh, as well as a... Uh, uh, a range of other kinds of courses and uh, colloquiums. So, for example, we're doing a colloquium for 
chief innovation officers from companies and law firms, a, a kind of newly created role that we're also studying, that's the research arm, but also bringing uh, about 35 of these leaders together for a day-long meeting at Harvard Law School as a way of uh, giving them some ideas about best practices and encouraging dialogue. We also work to change the way uh, law students are taught, and some of our uh, case studies are being taught in JD courses here in the United States. And we've also introduced a variety of courses uh, here at Harvard, some of which have been picked up in other places. One's on uh, called uh, Challenges of a General Counsel, about the changing role of general counsels around the world. Um, we do, uh, we, uh, one of our, uh, one of our senior fellows teaches a, a class called, uh, the business of law and which it looks more intently at, you know, the economics of law practice. So we're really interested in the second leg and really trying to change the whole way in which we teach, uh, both law students and professionals. And finally, the last leg of the stool, and really the one that's the most important, uh, because nothing else is possible without it, is to encourage greater dialogue and collaboration uh, between the profession and the academy. And here we have everything from a world-class advisory board of senior leaders who we meet with once a year and who helps to shape our initiatives and the research and teaching uh, part of our mission. Um, we run a variety of, of conferences, uh, including a large one we did a few years ago on disruptive innovation in the market for legal services, um, and uh, several that we've done around the world on our globalization project to try to engage with practitioners about the work that we're doing. And uh, most recently, about two years ago, we started a online digital magazine called The Practice, which is designed to bring the research that we're doing uh, to a broader audience of practitioners and policymakers and to engage in a dialogue in that way about uh, the key issues facing the profession. So that's kind of the universe of what we do. Okay, thank you. Very interesting. And <clears throat> what what needs what need in specific does the center fulfill for law students, for lawyers, and other legal professionals? And do you also see this role changing over time? Well, I think all three of the groups that you mentioned uh, are confronting a world that really is changing over time. It is exactly the second part of your question that makes the work we do so relevant to all the groups you have identified. Uh, law, for many years, was a relatively stable profession. It's no longer stable. It's being reframed by globalization, by technology, by what I call the blurring of the boundaries between law and other disciplines like uh, uh, finance, tax, accounting, strategic planning, information technology, process management. And uh, law schools traditionally have not talked about any of these issues. And so that uh, practitioners who are now confronting those issues are looking for the kind of systematic, unbiased, empirical research that we provide and looking for opportunities to get together with academics and other practitioners to really talk about uh, these challenges and how they are uh, managing them and what are the best practices for dealing with them. 
and for law students, the uh, world is going to change even more dramatically in the next, say, 10 to 20 years in which they'll be entering the practice of law than it has in the last 10 or 20 years. And therefore, I think we really owe it to them to try to give them as much of an opportunity to think about these issues ahead of time uh, and to begin to think about how they'll deal with change. Because even what we teach them today is unlikely to be the same as what they will confront, let's say, in 10 or 20 years. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, Do you also offer research capabilities for private projects at your center? Well, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Uh, I have, and and some of the other uh, uh, faculty associated with the center do work with uh, private law firms or companies to to help them to understand some of the changes that we've been talking about. So, for example, I'm headed to Australia on Thursday to run a series of meetings for the clients of of a top uh, Australian law firm about the changing role of the general counsel in the global marketplace. Uh, And my colleagues also do similar uh, teaching around the world. I probably uh, do do a considerable amount of speaking and teaching around the world. I was in almost 15 countries last year. But we are an independent academic research center. So as a center, uh, we are committed to uh, producing knowledge that will be publicly available and widely disseminated uh, so that uh, we can help improve uh, the the functioning of the legal marketplace overall and the the, ability of lawyers to lead uh, satisfying and ethically uh, rewarding careers in the practice of law. Yeah, I understand, yes. Um, As you said, the legal profession is changing. Professionals need to to be more business and tech savvy. Um, What do you think about this change and what do you see as, let's say, the biggest challenge for the legal professional in, in five years from now? Well, it certainly is true that lawyers have to become more familiar with with business concepts, with the the role of information technology, with things like process management, with big data, with a whole range of things that really were not uh, uh, things that lawyers had to uh, think about much in the past. And that is really where the challenge lies. Uh, lawyers have uh, been trained and to a large extent selected for their ability to do what my colleague uh, Ben Heineman and uh, Bill Lee uh, wrote about it in an article called uh, Lawyers as Professionals and as Citizens, ha- have been trained in what we think of as the core competencies of law. And those are incredibly important. Uh, by core competencies, I mean... Uh, legal analysis and understanding the operation of legal institutions. But for lawyers to be competent practitioners in the 21st century, they're going to have to also uh, uh, have facility with what we call the complementary competencies, things like financial literacy or uh, understanding strategic thinking, leadership, teamwork skills, the ability to manage large projects, to understand and critique data, 
um, to utilize uh, and understand the proper role and functioning of information technology in the delivery of legal services. These are all things that, for the most part, lawyers have received almost no training in uh, up to this point. And so the challenge will be how do we uh, get lawyers to be adept at these new forms of knowledge, or at least new to them, and uh, to think about how all of these other domains uh, relate to law and legal practice without abandoning the core commitments of law as a uh, public profession or the rule of law or the commitment to the integrity of the uh, system of justice uh, or the uh, rigorous analytical skills that have always uh, distinguished uh, lawyers and made them very effective in the world. So I'd say this is going to be a key challenge, particularly in the short to medium term, as so much is changing uh, about the environment in which uh, law is practiced and, and what clients are looking for from lawyers and what society is looking for from lawyers. And that doesn't map match up very well at the moment with the way lawyers are being trained. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, And if you look at at, at at these changes in the changing markets and all the developments, do you see a difference between the U.S. and the European legal market? And um, how do you see the Asia-Pacific region in this context? So if we were to go back... Uh, you know, even 15 years, you know, even to the beginning of the millennium, uh, there were some significant differences between the U.S. legal market and the European legal market, particularly if you meant continental Europe, excepting for the moment uh, the U.K. Um, over the last 15 years, many of those differences have uh, become smaller, in part uh, because of European integration and the uh, movement of U.S. and particularly U.K. law firms and companies into the European legal market. But there nevertheless are important differences, and I've spent enough time in countries like Italy and, and France and, and Germany. Uh, we just had lawyers from uh, all of those jurisdictions in our leadership and law firms class. And part of what we talk about is how these uh, markets are similar but different to what we see in the United States, and by the way, s similar but different from each other as well. And then, of course, if you extend Europe eastward and you t start talking about the former states of the Soviet Union, um, again, uh, we have now uh, greater differences, which are, again, uh, under pressure as we see more and more global integration. Uh, if we go to Asia-Pacific, one of the really interesting developments that we've been studying in our project on globalization, lawyers, and emerging economies, or GLE as we like to call it, is how China and other major uh, Asian economic powers are developing their own sophisticated uh, corporate legal sector and how that sector is interfacing with the public sector, with governments, with the institutions of global governance, etc. I mean, as, as your readers will know, uh, some of the largest law firms of the world are now based in, uh, in Asia and China 
in particular. And I think one of the interesting questions in the next decade will be how Chinese law firms and Chinese companies uh, move out from Asia to the other parts, both of the developing and the developed world, where China is an increasingly important player. Interesting. Yes, thank you. And if we look more specifically at law firms, do you do you foresee a changing position from a competitive point of view in and between big law, medium-sized firms, and small firms? There's clearly uh, a uh, lots of divergence happening. You know, uh, in some ways, what, what's interesting is if you look at the early let's say, the early and middle decades of the last century, the 20th century, uh, there has been a growing, there was a growing convergence of all law firms on a kind of, at least all law firms in the United States, on a relatively uniform model of, of how law firms would be organized. You might call that the crevasse model of partners and associates and uh, um, you know, things like lockstep compensation and uh, uh, upper out systems and associate apprenticeship, you would see lots of law firms of all sizes moving to converge on that model, which by the 1960s had become kind of the gold standard for how many law firms in the United States were organized. In the latter decades of the 20th century and increasing into the decades of the 21st century, we're seeing uh, a growing divergence in how law firms are organized and what their relative position is. Uh, as you have some law firms pursuing a, uh, a global model, which is uh, very far from a uniform partnership, you know, the swiss Verein model that has been adopted by many of the largest law firms in the world. You're seeing some law firms that are moving towards what might be thought of as a more corporate model, a more kind of top-down model in which uh, there are full-time uh, managers, uh, lawyers who become full-time managers who uh, are uh, exert tremendous authority in in how the law firm is operated, and you have a uh, a growing split in what the profitability is of of law firms, even law firms that consider themselves to be peers. And this latest round in the United States of the uh, top New York law firms forcing a $20,000 increase in the salary of starting associates from $165,000 to $185,000 is putting considerable pressure on many law firms uh, which uh, don't have the same level of profitability to keep pace. And then, of course, if you begin to broaden your perspective, not just from law firms uh, that do essentially corporate work, but law firms uh, that also do plaintiff's work or law firms that do uh, work for individuals, and we begin to look around the world, I think we're going to see an increasing divergence in the way uh, firms are operated, in their relationship to technology. So you have firms that are using much more uh, technology as a way of trying to standardize legal services and reduce the cost and increase the volume. 
Um, we're going to see big differences in the career paths of lawyers in various kinds of organizations, their participation in the management of the firm, and in the, the kinds of matters that they take on. So uh, I think uh, we're going to see an increasing divergence uh, uh, among different kinds of law firms, particularly law firms of different sizes serving different clientele, but we might still see convergence among law firms in a particular sector across the globe. So we certainly are seeing that law firms in the emerging economies, which seek to compete with the large global law firms and the law firms and the elite law firms in New York and London, trying to pattern themselves on that model as a way of signaling that they are capable of being uh, doing top-tier work and therefore appeal to leading global clients. Interesting, yes. And if you if you compare the, the big law against the big four, let's say the big four accountancy firms. Um, do you think big law is losing part of the client base to big to the big uh, four accountancy firms? And and what do you think they, they should do to withstand this competition? So we have a whole project on, uh, we call it the, the reemergence of the big four of the market for legal services. We devoted an issue of the practice to it. I have a whole empirical research project that I'm working with a terrific academic uh, named Maria Jose Esteban Ferrer, who's a faculty member at Asade University in Spain. Uh, and the short answer is uh, that the accounting firms are absolutely becoming very, very strong competitors with traditional law firms, particularly outside of the United States and even more particularly in the emerging economies of uh, Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the former states of the Soviet Union. Um, I think there's no question that law firms are losing business to the accounting firms. Uh, and it's because the accounting firms, uh, which, by the way, haven't been accounting firms for more than 20 years, um, but are not even any longer kind of what they were trying to be in the 90s, which is to have a separate, uh, you know, accounting line, tax line, consulting line, and then a legal line. They are now attempting to become, if you look at their literature, uh, globally integrated business solution providers. And, of course, law is a big part of a globally integrated business solution. And they are bigger, way bigger, better funded, uh, more technologically savvy, more multidisciplinary, uh, even more integrated uh, than any law firm in the world. Now, does that mean law firms will lose all their business or the big firm will swallow the legal profession? I don't believe that's the case, and I think there are some kinds of uh, legal work that uh, traditional law firms will be much better suited uh, to do than the big four. But they certainly are going to be fierce competitors, and I think if you ask me what law firms should be doing, one, they should recognize that this is going on, which I think they've been very slow to recognize. And two, they need to think what is their comparative advantage versus the big four, and then to move more aggressively in those areas. And that might include uh, themselves becoming 
larger and more multidisciplinary as a way of offering some of the same kind of global reach that the big four currently offer. Great. Thank you. Yes. <clears throat> and if we look at, um, let's zoom in a bit uh, on, on corporate law departments. Over the last 10 to 20 years, they became more professional and the importance of company lawyers, legal general counsel increases. Uh, they become uh, they became more and more legal experts in specific business segments or branches. And how do you think the profession will 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 grow, will evolve over time? And and will this affect law firms? You think? So this is another area in which we've done considerable research. Uh, we have a project on the changing role of global general counsels. We started in the United States with a survey of general counsels that we completed right before the global financial crisis, which still is probably the most comprehensive survey done on the U.S. legal market, and we are going to repeat that survey uh, starting this year to look at the differences between uh, what happened pre- and post-global financial crisis. And then we've been surveying general councils uh, around the world, first in India, then in Brazil, then in China, and we're about to launch a similar project in both Europe and in Africa. Uh, the bottom line is this role is evolving quite rapidly. Uh, that general counsels are becoming much more sophisticated in the way in which they both organize internally their role inside the company and uh, perhaps for your audience most significantly in the way in which they purchase legal services and the way in which they view the legal marketplace which they see as consisting not just of law firms but of a whole range of legal services providers and to the extent that the legal services market will evolve and will evolve more rapidly in the coming years, the primary reason will be because general counsels will have pushed it. And they are pushing not just uh, in the United States or the UK or even Western Europe, but we are seeing increasingly sophisticated general counsels uh, in emerging economies as well. So they are certainly going to be one of the most important forces uh, shaping the evolution of the legal profession for years to come. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, next question. There is a still a big difference between countries if we look at legal process outsourcing and legal services outsourcing. Do you think that overall LPO and LSO will be essential to run a sustainable legal business? I think there's no question about it. And all you have to do is look at the way any other sector of the American economy or the global economy, frankly, has been remade by uh, outsourcing. Uh, the day in which uh, anybody makes anything from start to finish in a glo in a vertically integrated way, uh, I, I think will certainly be a much more limited part of the economy. I don't want to say no one will do it. Um, and Ironically, the law firms that want to maintain themselves as premium law firms will have to figure out how to integrate uh, LPOs and LSOs and, and electronic discovery and uh, contract lawyers and a whole range of other kinds of professional service providers if they want to maintain the, their 
position of doing the kind of high-quality premium work at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Uh, different firms will have different ways of doing it. Some will actually try to integrate those services themselves. We see the U.K. law firms moving very aggressively to establish their own back-office facilities at places like Manchester and Belfast and South Africa, uh, many U.S. law firms have done the same, uh, but some will contract with uh, providers f- uh, that who will provide those services for them. And I think we'll see a, a kind of a range of how people will do it, but these organizations are clearly going to be a significant part of the market. And one question is whether having established an important foothold in the market, they will then begin to try to move themselves up the food chain, as uh, Clayton Christensen calls in a manner of disruptive innovation, to try to bring process management, technology, uh, big data, and a number of other things that they are actually much more facile with than traditional law firms into the legal marketplace as a way of increasing their market share. Interesting. Yes, thank you. Um, David, the last question. Um, it's about the debate uh, about disruption in the legal market. A uh, big bang versus a more incremental change. Some say the legal market is on the verge of a disruptive force that will have a huge effect on the market. And then again, others say change will be a more incremental process and the market will evolve naturally. What do you think about this? What are your thoughts? Well, my position is somewhere in between these two regime, uh, two extremes. I don't think it's going to be, quote, the death of big law, as some people have written, let alone, quote, the end of lawyers, as my Fred Richard Susskind sometimes, uh, his first, uh, one of his many books, I should say, uh, suggests, though Susskind himself is careful to say there's a question mark at the end of his title, so it doesn't mean that he believes that there will be no lawyers. Uh, but I don't think that it's going to be 2007 anytime soon. And that's because I think the, the large-scale forces that are reshaping the entire global economy, forces like the uh, shift, in, the important shift in economic resources from what you might think of as the traditional centers of the North and West to the new centers of the South and East, or the incredible rise in the speed and the sophistication of information technology, or what I referred to earlier as the blurring together of traditional boundaries between things like law and and accounting and finance and strategy and human resources uh those those changes uh are reshaping really the entire world and they're not going to leave law unchanged law is after all what i refer to as a lagging not a leading indicator of change meaning it follows broader changes in the economy and society and politics and in sociology so uh, i think we will see considerable change and in fact more change in the next uh, several years that we've seen in the past several But I don't believe that this means that the legal profession will be somehow unrecognizable in some relatively short period of time. I still think there are going to be great law firms. I still think there are going to be solo practitioners. I still think that um, there are many of the important services uh, and uh, practices of lawyers which 
will have to stay at least relatively similar because law is valuable in part because it doesn't change, right? Law provides continuity and stability. That's what we mean by the rule of law. And we need deep expertise that comes from the kind of apprenticeship model that values tradition. So uh, I gave a talk at the uh, Financial Times 10th anniversary of their uh, innovation conference, in which I said, it's important to talk about innovation, and there's going to be plenty of it, and lawyers are going to have to figure out how to keep up with it. But it's also important to talk about continuity and to understand what are the important areas uh, that we need to maintain traditions and maintain continuity in order to fulfill the overall goals of the legal profession, which don't exist for the benefit of the legal profession, but exist for the benefit of uh, individuals and society that need lawyers and legal services. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, David. Um, Really nice talk to you. Very inspiring, very informative. Um, Are there any other things you would like to share with our listeners? Anything you would like to say, mention? No, except just that... uh, They can keep uh, up with the things that we're doing if they go to our uh, website, which is uh, clp.law.harvard.edu, and uh, they can subscribe to our digital magazine, The Practice, and that we do a number of events around the world. Uh, And we are always interested in hearing about what the new developments are and and what the issues are that lawyers are confronting. I think... uh, This is a time in which we need as much dialogue as possible. Again, back to the three pillars of our center. We do research. We like to change the We hope we are changing the way in which lawyers are taught and prepared for these changes. But the key idea is to have uh, dialogue uh, between the, uh, the profession and the academy. And uh, your site and uh, what the work we do is designed to facilitate that. And I'm delighted to participate. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. Thank you.